Hi, everyone. We're conducting an audience survey, and we'd be really grateful if you could take just a few minutes and answer a few questions. Please visit survey.prx.org happiness to take the survey today. That's survey.prx.org happiness. Thank you. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by Progressive, one of the country's leading providers of auto insurance. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you say what kind of coverage you're looking for and how much you want to pay, and Progressive will help you find options that fit within your budget. Use the Name Your Price tool and start an online quote today at Progressive.com. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When I was seven years old, I was saving money for a pair of pink cowboy boots. And so I loved my piggy bank. I had it high up on like a cabinet. It was supposed to be hidden, but it probably really wasn't. But there was a gathering at our house. And I went into a room that I shared with my brothers. And I saw my pink piggy bank shattered on the floor with all the money gone. And I went to my father and I said, somebody broke my piggy bank and stole my money. I told him that my brother and my cousins did it and that they should get in trouble. Like, I wanted that revenge. I wanted them to be punished. That was my money for my cowboy boots that I so wanted and I had been not eating candy to save that money. So my father was with other men in our family, like my uncles, and they were drinking. And he just laughed and he said, you know, so what? And then all the men started laughing. I felt humiliated. Rose Elizondo is now a pioneer in the field of restorative justice and forgiveness. She founded the San Quentin Prison Interfaith Roundtable, where incarcerated men gain deeper understanding of the impact caused by their crimes. But while working with the Prison Roundtable, she learned that she still held on to anger toward her father. On every episode of our show, we have a guest try a research-based practice designed to increase happiness, resilience, kindness, or connection. And then we talk about the science behind why it works. I'm with one of the most inspiring people that I know, and that's Rose Elizondo, who has created some of the largest programs on restorative justice and forgiveness embedded in that in the world. So you chose this nine steps to forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious because you've got this deep life background and philosophical background to restoration and forgiveness. So what was it like for you? So it was really powerful when the Restorative Justice Interfaith Roundtable started in San Quentin. There were some men who said they noticed that when I spoke about my father, they heard resentment in my voice and anger. So it comes from some things in my childhood. I grew up in a family where there was, I'll just say there was alcohol. Yeah. They said to me, we're fathers. Yeah. And when we hear that in your voice, we think about do our children resent us? Mm. And so they said, we would like for you to work on forgiveness with your father. Wow. And I cried. And I said, no, I don't want to do that right now. Yeah. And then maybe a month later, my father was diagnosed with cancer. And he was given two weeks to two months. So I had these, like, huge aspirations that I was going to be able to go to my father. My father was a hardworking cowboy from this long line of Tejano cowboys. And so sitting in circle and sharing feelings, sharing stories in that way was not a part of his life. Yeah. So I went to him and I told him I wanted to work on a forgiveness practice with him. And we started. 
And I shared about how I felt. I felt harmed from some things in my childhood. And I wanted him to recognize at least a couple of those things. And he stood up and he cussed me out (laughs) in like this Texas Ranger way. And then I got upset and, you know, I probably cussed him out (laughs) and things got worse. You know, the whole... it wasn't going as planned. (laughs) It wasn't going as planned. And so what was beautiful is the men inside San Quentin, they really helped me. They guided me on this process and said, that's okay. You made a first step and you chose to forgive. And so these are the steps of forgiveness. I did choose to forgive my father. Yeah. And I chose to work on it. And, you know, even if it got rough to work on it, it was really messy for a long time. I'm trying to learn to drop my narrative. The Nine Steps to Forgiveness says that's part of why we suffer. I know. Is we tell ourselves stories and then those stories can change. Yeah. And we have to, you know, reflect on that. Yeah. And I can talk to you about how I felt because that's important to get in touch. Like that's one of the first steps of forgiveness. How did you feel? about this, like what was not okay. And so what I felt was that I was bad, that I was unworthy, that I wasn't valued, I wasn't heard or seen. It was really important for me to make a commitment to feel better. Which is the second step to forgiveness, making a commitment to yourself to feel better, because forgiveness really, it's for you and no one else. Yeah. And so this is my father. My father is a wonderful man that so many people love Decker. Like he's this charismatic, he was this Chicano activist. And so many people admired and loved him. But growing up sometimes with someone who is an activist or a public figure, that can be difficult. Yeah. And so I had to realize that he was a wonderful man. Many people saw him that way, but I lived with him. And so maybe at times, because he was so wonderful in the community, I was neglected. Yeah. And so I needed to think about how can I feel better about that? And it's funny how when we make these kind of commitments, these meta-level commitments, the like you were talking about earlier, Rose, like the narrative that you keep coming back to, like, oh, I didn't get it. It just changes that dynamic of, well, I'm committed to a different narrative in a sense of uh, whatever direction forgiveness takes you. Uh-huh. And then blaming my father. My father did a lot. So could I not look at, you know, the bad, but also look at the good and appreciate that. Yeah. But also recognize my own feelings, blame him less, and just like kind of give him credit for what he did do as a parent. What what could I be grateful for? And that helped me to lessen my suffering was thinking about like, I, I'm so grateful yeah. that I was born into the family I was born in. Yeah. It's funny how these states go together sometimes, that when we forgive and we recognize suffering on the other side is this feeling of gratitude sometimes, that I had this hard stuff, but I got this out of it. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting how they go together sometimes. Yes, yes, yeah. And I do think that the life, the universe, gives us opportunities or gifts. Yeah. So the next step to forgiveness is about understanding that forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciling. And also to stop expecting things from other people. Yes. So give up expecting things from your life that other people choose to not give you. So I wanted my father to give me an apology. It didn't work. He just refused or did you um, ask him? So I was meeting with him and I had an agenda, Decker. Yeah. I wanted him to change. I couldn't change my father. So how could I accept him for who he was? So one of the things that the men in San Quentin invited me to do was to start a kindness practice. 
and to be kind to myself and to be kind to other people. And so the Greater Good Science Center has these wonderful <laughs> kindness practices. So it took working with kindness and being kind to other people, like super generous, being very apologetic, you know, like generous with my apologies, generous with my time, and also kind to myself. Because I think that's one of the hardest things is I need to have self-compassion. That's, that's a hard one. Uh -huh. yeah. And realize that if I didn't feel loved and I didn't feel worthy, how can I meet those needs as an adult? Yeah. Like what can I do to embrace that young little girl that wanted to feel worthy and feel good. Yeah. So how can I do that myself? So I worked on practices to do that. And then I committed to a centering prayer meditation practice. What do you do? So I sit. I'm not going to say every day, but I yeah. try to sit. And I sit in silence, and it's a letting go practice. When thoughts come to you, especially intrusive thoughts like ruminating thoughts, yeah. you let them go. Yeah. I gave up wanting an apology. I gave up the narrative so I went to our little, like, ranchito, and I asked my father, what do you want to do today? And that's not, like, who I was before. And I tried to be as happy as possible, like, just bring this happy presence that I take into San Quentin. Mm -hmm. I tried to bring that to my father mm. and not think about the past hurts. And so he said, let's go out for barbecue. So um, I was a vegetarian <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah. Good try. Um, but I said, yes, let's go out for barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> and I ate brisket with him, <laughs> ribs, and then we ordered these double fried curly french fries and we fought over them like in this loving, joking way. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm back to my father. Mm. I'm back to the father who's so funny, who's like a comedian. We had a great time. And the next day he said, what do you want to eat today? Mm. He's like, I, you know, if you want to eat your style of food, we can't eat your style of food. He said, what would that be? I said, well, it would be a salad. And, <laughs> in um, Texas. In Texas. <laughs> and he's a rancher. And, and just a salad. And, we, and then we had sliced cantaloupe. And I don't think he liked the salad, but he said the cantaloupe was just delicious. I mean, he just had so much fun just joking around that, you know, he's a cattle rancher and I'm a vegetarian. What does that say? <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, like <laughs> laughing about things. And it was, it, was a, it was a really beautiful time. So I gave up my need that he had to apologize. And I just worked on relationship. Could our relationship be reconstructed? And it happened. And it often begins with food. Uh -huh. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And then sadly, six weeks later, my father passed away. Mm. And, Sorry about that. But it, what I felt was... It felt complete hmm. because even though there hadn't been an apology, there hadn't been this I love you, the time we spent together was communion. Yeah. You know, we had a great time together. And those are the memories that I have. You know, and it's amazing in the science of how we make peace. Peace is made in many different ways. And it's not necessarily the words, you know, I'm sorry or I did this wrong. It's eye contact and it's a tone of voice and it's laughing over brisket or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think your description brings that to mind. It's so striking that often these happiness practices are really about the big life themes. And I just want to hear about your work now. I feel so honored to be working with the Navajo people. It's looking at my life purpose and looking at what lights me up mm -hmm. and also what breaks my heart. Mm. So one of the things that breaks my heart is domestic violence and violence happening in the home. 
And so it's bringing these traditions like restorative justice and peacemaking. How can we bring that into the community? Truth and reconciliation where people get to tell their story because intergenerational trauma and trauma are root causes of that we criminalize poverty, we criminalize trauma. And so if we can work at those root causes of the root causes, hopefully we can keep people to not be incarcerated. So if parents can learn positive parenting, maybe they won't be having to go to court for domestic violence cases. Exactly. I feel really honored to do that. And then we're also helping to create an institute of Navajo peacemaking as a part of my project. That sounds amazing. Yes, and a model site. So not just the institute, not just the head stuff, but a model site where people can come and see the practices of what does this entail on a societal level. I'll be first in line. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rose, I am so grateful for the work you do in the world. It's absolutely essential. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. We'll talk more about the science of forgiveness after this short break. Hiring the right team for your business can be a long and arduous process. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts, you can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash happiness. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash happiness. Indeed.com slash happiness. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. It's a new year. Time to leave what you don't need in the past and sell those luxury items at The Real Real. The Real Real is a trusted source for authenticated luxury consignment, and you can sell everything from women's and men's luxury fashion and accessories to fine jewelry, watches, art, and home decor. Choose your own virtual appointment time and meet by video with a luxury manager. They'll walk you through the selling process, give you price estimates for your items, and help you decide what to sell. Afterward, The Real Real will arrange a free pickup. You can also sell in person, safely and easily, at one of The Real Real's locations across the country. Or just request a free shipping label to send your items in. Selling your luxury items with the real real isn't just smart financially, it's sustainable. It's a win-win. Start selling and earning today. Visit therealreal.com to book your free appointment. So one of the counterintuitive themes that surprises people when we think about the science of happiness is how do we develop principled ways to handle the hard stuff of life? You know, bereavement and trauma, conflict and so forth. And one of the great lessons that we've learned in the science of happiness comes out of the science of forgiveness, which Rose did a practice around with the nine steps of forgiveness. So the first thing that we have to really grapple with honestly is that although there's a lot of prosociality in the science of happiness, at the same time, because we're individual beings with our own self-interest and our own desires, there's a lot of conflict that's just part of social living. Really funny studies by Judy Dunn and her colleagues showing, for example, that when you study little four-year-olds and two-year-olds in American homes, they're getting into six conflicts an hour. The mom or dad who's around is getting into another half dozen conflicts an hour with one of the kids. 
So what that tells us is in the average American family, there are eight to 10 conflicts every hour as we engage in the complexities of, of family living. What this tells us is conflict is just inherent in human relationships and we need to forgive. So one of the really key theoretical discoveries about forgiveness, and it tells us that we have an instinct to forgive, really comes out of the groundbreaking work of Franz Duval, who's a primatologist. He studies the bonobos and the chimpanzees and other primates in his research career, and really important to the science of happiness. And he started to get interested in what he called peacemaking and reconciliation. There is this hypothesis out there called the dispersal hypothesis that if two primates are in conflict with each other and they're tangling and they're wrestling and they're biting each other and pulling each other's fur or the like, it's really wise for them to disperse, to get physically far away from each other. That makes sense. And Franz was doing these observations of various primates and he found naturalistically the opposite happens, that in fact what happens is the two individuals who are fighting will find opportunity to get closer to each other, or a third party will often bring them in and into physical contact. And then he documented this systematic process of reconciliation, which really looks like the precursor to human forgiveness. So one individual will bow, they'll express certain kinds of vocalizations, they'll have open-handed gestures, and then the other individual will actually embrace that primate or groom them or come into close physical contact. It's as if what they're seeing are these initial elements of an apology almost, and then some sort of forgiveness. So in the human literature, we define forgiveness as having four components, and you really saw them in Rose's narrative. So you really work hard to accept the transgression. So Rose had to think hard at multiple occasions. Why was her dad sort of more loving in the outside world than inside with the family? You have to reduce this punitive tendency to seek revenge. You have to, as Franz Duval described, you have to really, instead of moving away from the individual, you have to come close and have the face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact. One of the great studies early in the forgiveness literature is by Charlotte Whitvliet, a professor at Hope College in Michigan. So what she did is she brought people to the lab and she hooked them up to measures of their cardiovascular physiology, capturing things like heart rate and the transmission of blood through the veins. And that measures how you know whether the person is fight or flight oriented. And she had people think about a kind of a, a grudge that they had towards somebody else. They either kind of got into this process of thinking about their grudge and holding on to the grudge, which we love to do sometimes, or Charlotte Whitfleet had the participants release it, just to mentally imagine letting go of the anger that's associated with the grudge. And very nicely, what she found is just letting go of this grudge and forgiving the individual led to a calming down of stress-related response in the cardiovascular system. So it actually kind of calmed your fight-or-flight response. Forgiveness has these physiological benefits. I'm Dacher Keltner. Thanks for joining me for The Science of Happiness. If you would like to try the nine steps to forgiveness or other practices like it, go to ggia.berkeley.edu and then call us at 510-519-4903 and let us know how it went. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRI with production assistance from Jenny Cataldo and Ben Manila of BMP Audio. Our producer is Jane Bach. Production assistant is Lee Mingistu. Executive producer is Jason Marsh. 
Special thanks to UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. Our original music is by David Michelle Ruddy. You can learn more about the science of happiness and find related articles, videos, quizzes, all kinds of stuff on our website, greatergood.berkeley.edu. And shoot us an email. Tell us what you think about what you heard. Send it to greater at berkeley.edu.